0: We are all about charity here at Sex and Space, and today's shout-out is EPIC. It's for an organisation called Decolonising Contraception, a not-for-profit community interest company formed by black and people of colour working in sexual and reproductive health, or SRH. They came together in 2018 to increase awareness about colonial influences on SRH, they are championing the idea that decolonization is not just an academic idea, but a solution in helping address the huge health inequalities present in the sexual and reproductive health sector. They are volunteer-led and funded by donations. Check them out at www.decolonizingcontraception.com. They are Evie's charity of choice today.
1: Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle. Sex in Space, its mission to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before and still somehow managed to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found.
0: Hello, I'm Tim.
2: And I am Jess.
0: And welcome to another episode of Sex in Space. This is our mega project, and it is exploring sex across all of its infinite dimensions.
2: Where we turn the awkward into the straightforward and try to have a little bit of fun doing it.
0: Yes, this is one of those episodes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, talk about fun. Um, today we have with us an episode we recorded with... Um, Evie Fahili, a sex educator, a clown, and a sex clown. So you can do the math on that. Uh, Drag king, queen, and all-round queer megastar. Fahili creates taboo-busting theatre, but also puts sex education at the core of her work, both hosting the Sex Clown Cabaret in London and running workshops at feminist sex shop Shh. So uh, we spoke to Evie, well, I spoke to Evie um, via Zoom, uh, and we actually shared some of the... Some of, some of a somewhat of a similar history. We'd both been to the same crazy clown school uh, in Paris, and so uh, yeah, we've got some of the same stories. But um, certainly, nothing I've ever done has been as exciting as what Evie has to talk about. So, yeah, I highly recommend you dive in and I hope you enjoy
0: life you lead, Jess. <laughs> I know, I know. And now, the interview.
2: Thank you so much oh, really? for taking the time to be here with me. Evie, I recognise it. So thank
3: you for having me.
2: It's a hideous time of day. You, you're <laughs> at the you're at the end, and I'm at the <laughs> I'm at the nap end. Um, <laughs> and so I'm really grateful that you've got out of bed to
3: talk to My me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
2: <laughs> I've got so excited over the process of um, of googling you. And uh, <laughs> I know literally just before I was looking at a, an amazing picture of you, um, which I hadn't clocked before, but I think you're in a costume that's covered in um, pantyhose penises.
3: Yeah. It's yeah. so
2: great. And I literally was sitting on the couch by myself and laughed out loud when I figured out what it was. And I looked at that picture a number of times and be like, Oh cool, it's kind of a costume. And then
3: when I figured it out, like oh,
2: This is so good. So I guess we need like that was your intro, but I guess we need a that just raises so many flipping questions, doesn't it? I <laughs> I would love to know how you would describe your journey to what you're doing now, which sounds like both clown and sex education and some other stuff. Yeah, how's how's your life been for you, Evie?
3: Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a big question. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been so so. Really, sort of the beginning of it is that I always wanted to perform, and like since I was tiny, I wanted to be a performer, and I wanted to work uh, in theatre and make theatre. Um, so that took me to do lots of musical theatre and lots of amdram for a very long time It was awful amdram uh and lots of good amdrams though. um and i um then went to gollier where you've been as well went to the famous clown school in near paris taught by
2: Yes, weirdly, yeah. I can't believe that we've both been to the same council, although I was terrible at it, let me say, so it was great to talk to somebody who's stuck it out, because you were there for two years, weren't you?
3: Yeah, I think, I think everyone is terrible at it, I think that's what he does to you, I think it was really interesting watching people, because were you there for a month, or a bit longer?
2: Yeah, I was, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's interesting to like, watch, because here's for anyone who doesn't know, like, he is this, have you talked a lot about him on the podcast before? Not no, worth no so in?
2: absolutely, most people are going to go, what, you can go to a school to be a clown, <laughs> what do you practice with a tiny tricycle, like what is that, so I would love to hear how you would describe what that thing is.
3: Yeah, um, so what is clown school, so clown school <laughs> is somewhere, it's a theatre school, it's a theatre school, but it's more fun at parties to say clown school, that's what I'd say, <laughs> and, he is very famous for clown and for teaching clown and, and he is a clown. His whole persona is being a clown. Um, so uh, there is definitely a focus on, on the more comedy stuff. Um, but basically, my interpretation of it was that I spent two years with an old man with a drum going, OK, bang, 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 bang everybody, uh, now you go on the stage and uh, you'll be funny, yeah? And then everyone goes up on the stage and then he bangs his drum and he goes, ah, you are fucking awful, leave my stage. That was like, that was two years of my life. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, it takes a
2: lot to endure. From personal experience, it was almost traumatizing, I would say, and it takes a lot to endure. So hats off to you to keep getting up. And standing on
3: the stage. <laughs> yeah. Looking back on it, I'm like, oh my God, why on earth did I put up with an old man banging a drum at me? Yeah. No idea. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> but I'm very grateful. Like, it definitely gave me lots of things. Mm. But that's not to say that I wouldn't, uh, I don't know, as an older, more feminist woman, I, d- I don't know if I would, could deal with it now. Mm. i think i would really struggle
2: mm. yeah there's mm. definitely uh yeah there's a whole conversation there for sure but i guess yes. most people aren't going to know the context of that so i guess i'm kind of interested in like you you studied clown and then what did you think was going to happen Sorry. after that i've
3: got on a real tangent it's and-
2: great but
3: <laughs> yeah, but that is. I'm very, very. I always go on tangents, so keep keep me keep me coming back. Um, so then after Gollier I sort of struggled for a bit, sort of floated around, couldn't quite work out what I wanted to do, and couldn't work out a way in. Um, I think uh Paris Clown School is amazing, but it doesn't give you that sort of leg up in the city that you're in. I think it doesn't give you like a showcase or like a place to start. Um so that was a bit bamboozling. So I then got into kind of like the queer scene in London. There's this amazing venue, which is now the I think it's the only venue in the UK that's like a listed protective building for queer history. So it's it's called the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. And it's amazing. And it's it's just incredible. And it's this like incredible bar that has had drag queens in it, I think, for 50 60 years plus and um it's just amazing and this company called ducky they took on a load of young performers and they've trained us and helped us make solo work um and it was run by this wonderful performance artist called Ursula martinez um who is just an incredible badass and um we all just became amazing friends and it was just a really incredible experience and it really brought me into the queer cabaret scene which was just yeah it kind of saved my life in london i was so lonely in london i had no idea what i was doing and then i suddenly had this like queer family it was just amazing and then that brought me kind of into i just needed the money job at the time and about the same time as working with ducky i desperately needed a money job and thought it'd be really fun to work at a sex shop so applied for a job at Shush my friend was working at Shush so I just started there as a shop girl and I just thought it would be a short-lived thing for a bit of money but I just completely fell in love with it um and I completely fell in love with um with how how amazing it is to have open conversations about sex. How to, to make sex feel mundane is just a completely um, a completely empowering experience. Completely connecting with your body again and it enables you to explore in all these ways. And I had um, I until that point had had some like really horrible sexually traumatic experiences that just made me completely. Uh, like almost I almost described myself as asexual at that point I don't think I ever ever truly was asexual but I think at one point I was sort of so terrified of sex and so completely um convinced that it wasn't for me that I just couldn't find attraction to anyone couldn't find any reason to do that and it was working at church, and it was finding this way to um to have these conversations and kind of like go from zero to 60 that um, that made me jump back into sex again and feel sexual again and feel sexy again and and, and go back into relationships again and, and be interested in that side of things. So the combination I think of like being embraced by this really gorgeous queer community and then working at a sex shop was just this amazing uh, coalition is that a word? Well, I'm going to use it. <laughs> it's like coalescing. I think that's what I'm looking for. Coalescing, and um, and was so it, it was exactly what I needed at the time to really sort of come into my own sexuality, and that was such a, a wholesome experience that everything I've done since I sort of started to take over the sex education of church. Now I teach all the classes, and now I've become interested in like making that experience so talking about sex in quite an immersive way i want to give that to everyone because it was so incredibly helpful for me and it kind of saved my life a little bit i'm using that a little bit too much it sounds very hyperbolic but i I believe that um and it certainly saved my relationship with sex and i believe that so much in the world would be sorted if we sorted good sex education um, and so now through, through my workshops that I do with Shush, but then I also run, uh, I run around London, um, a few up and down the country as well. And then also my cabaret work. Now all it all surrounds talking about sex in some way. So the act that I do the most is uh, a parody of Louis C.K. And it's all about, and that is the penis costume. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I start completely dressed as Louis C.K. And I sort of start talking about, I just start lip-syncing to him saying like about how important it is to apologise to his kids
1: and how um
3: how like what just basically just like splice together bits of his stand-up and then um he I then sing sorry seems to be the hardest word or bits of that but then go between I touch myself and then go into like the hypocrisy and him like refusing to apologise and um and i'm just quite fascinated by him because i feel like he's one of the perpetrators of the me too movement not certainly not the only one and not and not the most severe i know lots of people love to pick me up on that one why are you doing Louis ck when you're not doing harvey weinstein well trauma isn't relative <laughs> <laughs> and he's just i think the hypocrisy i think because i i really loved him as a comedian years and years ago and he was so he's so vocal about like being such a feminist and but like knowing he's a dirtbag but trying to be better kind of thing and then refused to apologize i got so interested in him um but my work revolves around sort of as a drag king taking those men down and sort of um I've done a a Kevin Spacey piece, which has had a bit of a less airtime as well, but sort of looking at these, um, looking at these figures of the Me Too movement and, and tearing them down and creating like a fun, cathartic conversation around them, hopefully, because I still feel like as serious as these things get, they still need to be funny and irreverent in order for it to be an interesting conversation. Um... But yeah, that is now part of my practice as well. So it's kind of, I think I always thought the performing and the sex education was separate. And in the last year or so, I've been like, aha, they are the same (laughs) thing. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah. And so now they're sort of becoming one thing just before lockdown. uh, Literally the day that the country got locked down, um, we were just about to start. It was a we had this Arts Council grant to start this show called Caterpillar Soup, which I was making, which was all about like the, the through thread of it is sort of more of a personal story about sexual trauma. And, um, and then there were lots of, uh, basically these massive, big, mad drag king cabaret pieces thrown into it. So it's sort of like a personal story and then talking about the worldwide implications of the Me Too movement and, uh, and things like that, and sort of female bodies and how they're perceived and how they're controlled and that kind of thing, but in a mad drag cabaret way. Um, and that was just about to start and is now put on hold, <laughs> but it will, it will happen at some point. Um, yeah, I feel like I've rambled on forever, but that's kind oh, of my
2: no, circuitous journey. What an amazing, yeah, that's so beautiful that you've managed to find these two things that you care so deeply about. And that you've figured out that they can merge together it sounds and like an amazing business opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I say that as you say that things have been cancelled, and I guess I did want to ask how COVID-19 has affected your practice. I mean, are you still able to continue doing s- sex education with sorry, you say shush, that's how you say it.
3: Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's the people who own it, they say it's shush. <laughs> so you'd think s h u s h maybe i it's
2: yeah. a horribly boring thing to ask you, but i guess what i am interested in is um is yeah uh if you if what has been affected by this global crisis and how has it changed how you can do what you do
3: uh yeah the covid has just massively affected everything um and that that I, oh god it's just an extraordinary thing isn't it because i feel so guilty for sort of i've been chatting to all these artists and all these people who are just sort of distraught but then they say that they're distraught and then desperately like that but i know like i'm not a doctor and i'm not a nurse and they're they're sacrificing so much more than us <laughs> it's a sort of like self-flagellating thing with it um but yeah it's completely it's completely destroyed a lot of it i had like the there was this week in March where I had like 72 gigs in the diary that just one by one of them got cancelled which was quite incredible Um, and then with the workshops we are running them online Um, the shop the the thing with Shush is that we never competed online we were never like the big one in, in the UK is Love Honey I don't know if they exist in do they? Um, so and like, I mean, Love Honey is set up to be an online Amazon. It's a sex toy Amazon, you know? Yeah, they're huge. And, uh, what'd you say? They're huge. Yeah. 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 So we're never going to compete with them. And our whole point was that we didn't really try. We yeah. we had a in-person service, and it is a really incredible place. Like, I remember going in there um sort of years before i worked there when i was still sort of in the midst of feeling really messed up about sex and uh someone just gave me a cup of tea and sat me down and we sort of chatted for a while and i cried a bit and it was just so lovely and it's such an important space uh, but it, it's it it's thing is the bricks and mortar shop and you go there you go there for this specialized tailored advice so yeah that the shop will really struggle i I don't quite know what's going to happen there i imagine it will it will close um and i don't know if it will be able to open again but i imagine they will they will find some way to keep it going online at the moment I'm working for them online still I'm doing a few workshops a week uh all on zoom or we're doing like instagram live q and a's and stuff which is really nice to kind of reconnect with it in some way but it's just it's so difficult like a bit like this it's just it's like it's it's lovely to do these things online but also so much harder than in person <laughs> you're like that
2: is true but I yeah I, I mean I guess there's a s- small amount of us that's grateful because um we probably wouldn't have made it in person. <laughs> I'm not completely to...
3: <laughs> <absolutely. laughs> yeah. No, no, absolutely. Um but it's yeah and 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 that there are definitely pro I'm being a bit negative, but there are definitely like what's amazing about it is I had someone sign up for a workshop from Columbia the other day and like that feels really exciting. Um so it feels like we're like maybe te- stepping on new territory, which is really lovely. Um, but, but what I really miss is, you know, how like, cause we have like, I don't know, 25 people in a workshop. Mm. Uh, and when you get over about five, you have to stop. Everyone mutes their their thing because of the feedback. So it's just, I miss that. I think I'm a massive, massive insecure extrovert. So I need that feedback of people like, aha, yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. Um, so I really miss that. So it's just a lot of me kind of like on transmit, which I, I'm not such a fan of. Um, but they're still happening. So I'm very grateful for that. And, and they're fun still. We're doing a big uh, sex pub quiz this Wednesday.
2: Awesome. Those workshops, what are they? I mean, I guess like I've never been to a sex workshop before. So, I mean, without giving away too many of your trade secrets, I guess. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what would I... Like, what would happen if I was to turn up at one of your sex workshops, if they were in person? What, would, what is that like?
3: Um, so, it depends, we do quite a few different ones. Um, online, we're doing a little bit less at the moment because it's trickier, but if this was in person, um, so the one we do the most is called orgasmic, and um, it's all people who uh, have vulvas, and we just talk a lot about uh, pleasure and orgasms and kind of a lot of it is just having 12 female-bodied people in a room and getting them to talk about their own pleasure and their own vulvas um, and we talk a lot about toys we talk a lot about ways of masturbating and we talk a lot about just kind of just giving permission mm. I think there's still such a stigma around female masturbation and I think there's such a guilt around it I always think it's really interesting and really telling. Um, Shush do a lot of work around vaginismus, uh, which is, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a condition that, um, where people struggle or cannot be penetrated at all. And that doesn't always mean sex. That could be just being penetrated with fingers or a tampon or something else. Um, and so we sell these things. In fact, I have one right here. We sell these things called dilation kits which uh, this is the smallest one but they come in a set of four and they're little sort of silicon uh, very very small silicon dildos about the size of a of a finger and um, the idea is that you start with one and then you work your way up and for someone with vaginismus, that can be quite a bit of a chore it can be quite hard work Mm -hmm. and so so one of the things we do is we've made a little softer version thinking about you and your designing stuff this is the original ones like really really hard and plasticky and these are much softer Mm -hmm. um but also they come with a vibrator and what I find really interesting about that is how often I have spoken to someone who needs a dilation kit but then, when I say, it, when it comes with a vibrator, so it's, it can be more enjoyable for you, they're like, "Oh no, no, no! I, I, I don't need that. I just, I just want to sort of, I just want to do the chore. I don't want pleasure." Oh. And then it's, and that happens has happened so often, and, and this is obviously completely anecdotal, but just that's happened so often from working in the shop that um, I just think it's very telling of the permission we give females to enjoy pleasure and enjoy sex and then and then that obviously that is unhelpful for so many things but for a condition like vaginismus it makes it even worse because it is this psychosomatic uh vicious cycle of not enjoying something which will make it harder to do um yeah and so so a lot of my workshops again i've gone very tangential but a lot of my workshops are trying to backtrack that and trying to allow space. Uh, for women to accept that they, that their pleasure is just as important as anyone else's mm-hmm. um, regardless of, of who, who, they're, who they're dating, what their sexuality is um, and, then, and then just exploring ways for them to do that and um, talking about different things and encouraging them to get out of habits I think a lot and think about, we well, talk a lot about anatomy and about how their anatomy works uh in terms of arousal and things like that and then also about the science of orgasms and how we bring them on how we can scare them off a bit that kind of thing as well Um, so that's just there's one workshop but that's sort of the theme of all the workshops
2: quite talky they're not like hands-on workshops by the sounds
3: No, no 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 they're not they're not do you know betty dodson
2: i adore betty dodson
3: is incredible. But yeah, her her workshops, her for anyone who doesn't know Betty Dodson, she is the godmother of orgasms. <laughs> she was uh, someone who would host classes like mine in her flat in New York, but everyone would be naked from the waist down and she'd be teaching them to masturbate. So hers are much, much braver than mine. Uh, no, I don't know why. So we... We couldn't host those workshops because the council hate us already. So we couldn't. Um and I'm not I'm not sure if we would if we could I don't know. I don't know if I would be up for that. It's hard to tell. Um and it's and it's interesting as well, something that I think uh, is sort of like layers of people really. Like people would be people who come to the workshops at the shop, I think lots of them would be put off by they're actually being practical masturbation work done yeah um so it brings a new it brings more people i think and then again with the zoom thing i actually think lots of people are coming to those zoom classes who would never come into a sex shop and those are the people Mm -hmm. that i'm really really interested in in getting and talking to as well the people who are like sort of it's too it's too scary just to come into a sex shop so that feels really exciting about this this new way of working um but we also have lots of other classes as well that's just the one that we do most we have like a spanking class we have a bondage class we have um loads of other things we we also do a, a, a very similar class to orgasmic but it's just for men and it's about pleasure for women and that is honestly, I mean, and it's a very, very hamptu class, but it is honestly the, the one, the class where I feel like I'm do, doing the most good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and do you get a lot of people signing up for this?
3: That? that one we find a little bit trickier, but we started to get a bit of a, so we've only been running it for about a year and a bit, um, But when we did run it, we've had a few that were like sort of 10, maybe a little bit more. Um, And it's just so fascinating. It's just so fascinating and so wonderful. And when it's just, we've tried it, we've tried it with men and then we've tried it with men and their partners if they want and it's always so fascinating that it, when it's just men then it gets really exciting because then they ask all of the questions mm. that they wouldn't ask in front of their, their partner then they really delve into it like one of them I just had this the sweetest guy who was just sort of I've been I've been talking for quite a while. I've been like handing stuff out, and and it's quite in the shop. It is quite interactive in the way that like we talk about a lot of toys and like I hand out toys and stuff. I get them to make Play-Doh vulvas and stuff like that. And um, and this guy just constantly throughout the class just kept putting his hand up and was like, "So, when do I put my penis in?" <laughs> just like every five minutes, and then and then I was like no, no, but but, uh, maybe never, maybe never. He was like, oh, (gasps) oh, like it wasn't, he wasn't disappointed by this. It was just a real revelation for him. And um, and that, that, yeah, that feels really lovely. When it is this kind of like, this kind of like completely changing their perspective on, on sex. Mm. And, and, completely and being really helpful as well because I think it is a lot of pressure because we've all grown up in this same bullshit society with the same things around us and the same rumors around us and I think it's really unhelpful for uh, straight men as well to think that like all of their power, all, maybe all men, that like all of these orgasms must come from this penis. And that's all that, all that can give the pleasure. And that's the main thing because we put so much focus on stupid penises. But <laughs> actually there's so much more to it. And I think when, when you talk to men about that, when you teach them all these different things they can do, it actually takes quite a lot of the pressure off as well. Um, so it's not like any of them are like, no, no, I'm not gonna do this. I'm just gonna go straight in that they're actually, well the ones that have come to the class anyway, are actually really interested to hear about the other things that they can do, and it seems like quite a weight off their shoulders. Mm. So it
2: sounds like super pleasure-focused, your, your teaching practice, which doesn't sound anything like the kind of sex education that I, know I was given, but I'm interested, what was your sex education like, Evie?
3: Oh, terrible. I can't even really remember it. I get asked this question a lot because, because I'm a sex educator and I can never really remember it. It's really funny. I remember a science teacher once telling us that having sex was as, like, car- as you burn as many calories as having a run. And then I remember going home to tell my mum that and her laughing and saying, well, she's having good sex. <laughs> 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 um, but I I don't really remember about my sex education at all. It's um, an amazing
2: thing, isn't it, to tell young people, especially with like how much diet culture permeates everything, and then for the one comment about sex yeah. I mean, that it helps you burn calories and lose weight, it's like yeah. It's so depressing.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, absolutely, and not, not yeah. <laughs> I'm not going into anything else. Nuts. No.
2: <laughs> Sorry, interrupted uh, flow. Yeah.
3: No, no, no. Uh, I was going to say it was. Uh, I, um, yeah, our my sex workshops are very much they are very much pleasure focused, and they're not really any of the kind of like more worthy but incredibly important sort of like sexual health and contraception. That is, I, I, I that is not definitely not my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's much more about pleasure and, and permission to play, really.
1: And now, this. Barbara At the end of a long flog, two Barbarella's therapists take a well-earned break. Phew! Long diurnal unit that. Telling me, contorta love. I just came off back-to-back stag parties from Kepler 26. Come here, my friend. Those guys party like it's forty-nine ninety-nine ninety-nine. I just wish they wouldn't insist on real stags, you? Ah, oh, a couple of regulars from Ursa Major. It was all pretty relaxed until a last minute port up. A collective guilt squad from Penitencia Four. Oh, <sighs> Only to begin with. Then it was the old, Oh, whoa, we have brought shame upon our sacred line. We must be punished for our many significant transgressions. Blah, blah, blah. Next minute, they're strapped to the wall, and my outer vibricius giving me death. Have you tried Aurora Sodialis appendage solve? My sub swears by it. I'll give it a try. Oh, well, better go cut them down. They're still there? Hell, yes. They pay by the hour delek, fellow voluptuaries. As you will no doubt be aware, we approach parthenogenetic space, and for the next five units, must once again act out the fiction that we are simple physiotherapists and relationship counsellors, and not the most orgiastic assemblage of love jockeys ever shot from their progenitor's arse. And it is my pleasure to lead you, lovely Dolphin! For the next five, all evidence of our true vocation will vanish. All VR is suspended. Displays of flesh are suspended. Suspension is suspended. All succubi put into cryosleep, and no one sucks so much as an ice cream. I don't want to see any leather that isn't a couch or a single orifice that doesn't have words of encouragement coming out of it. Barbarellas has survived sexual bigotry before, and we will again. Alia Ejecta Est! (laughs)
0: Will Barbarella's stonewall the pathos? Will the pathos enforce zoning bylaw X349K? Does Ursa Major shit in the woods? Tune in
3: next temporal unit to find out. Barbarella's,
1: your enhanced physical and psychological alignment is our business. And now, to more weapons-grade content.
2: So tell me how the, like, personally I can see how clowning might interact with that but why is clowning an important part of the practice for that I mean do you bring your clown into your or your clowning into those particular workshops or is that more in a different space
3: I think I think there's something about um just being a performer and knowing how to make people feel comfortable that's really important in those spaces um so I think generally I'm I'm quite funny and light in those spaces, and I think that is definitely something that I've got from clowning and performing. Um, so I think that is a really important part. I don't do much kind of um, clowning, as it were, in those workshops. Um, that is more more sort of the sex clown cabaret and 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 my work outside that really, um, and that is just about the importance I think to to laugh about sex and to to talk about sex in all these different ways and again the idea of sex clown cabaret is that it's just it's it's just a cabaret show but we're just talking a lot about sex and it's normalizing that conversation in a really funny way and and I just think a humor is just that the most useful thing in Mm -hmm. terms of sex because it's so often sex is sex is the furthest thing from sexy a lot of the time (laughs) in a good way it's like i feel like this picture we have of sexy is like i don't know it's all sleek and it's all like perfect and curvy or whatever it is but sex is is not that sex is gross and funny and weird and awkward and (laughs) ridiculous and hilarious and um so I think uh I think humor is just a way to be really comfortable with sex in that way. And that was sort of the idea of sex Clown cabaret. Um just to um yeah, just to have these open. It's like full of games, we do loads of silly games, like uh like vulva moulding competitions and uh we had like a Karma Sutra game where there's like a position held up, and then everyone has to get in that position, but like in the most ridiculous ways with clothes on. Um, just loads of loads and loads of silly stuff, um, and and yeah, yeah, just to bring that conversation further and and try and make more people listen. It's been I've, I've got to try and do some kind of digital sex clown cabaret, but I uh, I can't bring myself to do digital cabaret at the moment.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine, you know, and it's a hard thing to transform. I guess it's it's interesting too um, to me because I think that my understanding of um, clowning without being a great clown myself is that um, it's very much about being present and just exploring and playing and there's not that sense of um, really needing to get to a goal, you know, like you can just clowning has that sort of timeless quality doesn't it where it can just sort of you can watch someone just trying to sit on a chair for an hour and it's just the funniest thing you've ever seen you know and there seems to me like a sort of relationship there right because um sex has been so goal focused for so long and this is part of the problem is we're all trying to you know like hit for orgasm and The capitalist matrix trickles down, and you know everyone's working to efficiency. And so, there's something really gorgeous about what you're talking about. I mean, do you see that relationship in the in the play and the exploration and the just being present? Is is that something that bubbles up for you?
1: Definitely,
3: definitely. And that is something that I talk a lot about, um, which is this sort of like target fixation on orgasms. And a lot of my advice to whether you're on your own or or in in a couple or thruple or whatever it is, uh, the usefulness of like a sex session that does not involve orgasms mm-hmm. at all. And how just like exploring and it being uh, absolutely, as you say, just about being present and this journey of pleasure rather than it being that end goal. And I think that's, you've hit the nail on the head, so connected to clowning. Um, and, and also I think what the, what interests me about the combination of like sex and clowning is the the level of it that you're coming from in terms of this kind of like idiot this sort of like almost yeah. like a, a stupid sort of like idiotic way of looking at things to me is so much because i think i don't know i think there's something about uh certain parts of the sex positivity community that um whether it's people like who are being sex experts or whether they're like i don't know super kinky that it can be slightly exclusionary to people who are maybe like can com- like, identify as much more sort of vanilla people, but maybe they want to explore a little bit, but they feel like it's not for them because they're not, um, like pleather clad or whatever, like PVC clad or something. And that is absolutely nothing against that, that is a brilliant part of the sex community as well. But I think to kind of admit with sex that, um, like. I've been learning this stuff for four years now, teaching for four years. I still get shit wrong. I still don't always know what I'm doing. Mm. Like, it's just the kind of admission of that. Like, I still, I, I'm still sort of like talking, teaching people how to communicate with their partner and I still struggle to do it myself sometimes. I think it's that that admission that no matter where you are on that kind of sex sexpert uh, graph or scale, is what I'm looking for, um, we're still idiots when it comes to sex, all of us, I think. <laughs> we're all sex idiots I think.
2: It's so true isn't it because we really aren't given permission to be beginners at any point you know I always I always felt myself that I was supposed to magically know what to do this is the failure of sex communication worldwide isn't it that we're meant to magically know what to do having only been shown a couple of pictures of chlamydia or something and we're meant to know how to have sex with other people and so you're never really given permission to be a bit of a a bit of a dunce, you know. Yeah. A bit terrible. Like it's so, yeah. so nice to just be like, I'm absolutely hopeless. Now can we? Now can we start? <laughs> that sounds <one's> very funny.
3: <laughs> yeah. And like that thing of you know this sort of like joke about people like uh, it, it's, it's almost like it's integral to your personality um, to be good at sex. Mm and and I think and, and like what I mean what does that even mean what does that even mean it's also contextual as to who you're weird like what you'd I mean, um but a what does it even mean but b like we wouldn't I don't know we, we just wouldn't expect someone to be amazing at riding a bike if they had only ridden the bike like I don't know four or five times in their life and no one had ever taught them how to do it um yeah, so I think I think it's crazy that we expect the same sex that we expect like the people that we sleep with should be amazing at sex, should be good at sex, whatever it is. Um, but we don't we don't put the time in as a society in terms of education. That's not me saying that everyone you sleep with you should be like right. Let's let's talk about this. <laughs> um, well, maybe you should. I don't know, take a textbook on your next. Yeah, page.
2: I mean, if you had to define what was good what you thought was good at sex, what would that mean in Evie's
3: world? I think it all comes down to uh to communication. Good sex is communication, as this brilliant psychosexual therapist Kate Moyle said, communication is lubrication. Wow. Oh, um, I love that. Um, but I think, but also lubrication, actual lubrication is also very important.
2: Uh, lubrication is also
3: lubrication. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a wonderful book, actually, there's two wonderful books um, Come As You Are by Emily Bogoski. I think I'm saying her name right. I can't remember. I'm um, very dyslexic and terrible with names, so I apologise if <laughs> I've got that wrong. Uh, but it's a brilliant book. And then also, Karen Gurney has just written a book called Mind the Gap and both of those books kind of sum up this amazing um in different ways they're great companions because they sum up sort of desire and creating good conditions for sex and particularly Karen Gurney's book it puts a focus on the fact that really no sex is that spontaneous and we put so much pressure on ourselves to be having like amazing spontaneous sex like we were at the beginning of our relationship or whatever it is but actually like even at the beginning of the relationship when you're going on that like first second third fourth whatever it is date like you kind of decide that like before you go on the date like maybe we'll have sex tonight or or and then if both of you have made that decision then you have sex but there is no spontaneity about it like both of you know what this is about Mm. unless I don't know Someone saving themselves for marriage or something, but off, more often than not, like you know, you know what that is about, and you know the um, what you want at least, um, and so I think if we took if we put a lot less pressure on ourselves to have spontaneous sex, and we talked to the people we we're having sex with, and we were planning. We, we planned it, I think, and we, we accepted that that is also really fun to plan and we can talk about it and we can sext about it and we can do all these other things around it. I think we would all have more amazing sex and also masturbating. People masturbated a lot.
2: Ah, so good at sex is, is masturbating. Is they good at masturbating? Is that
3: a thing? Yeah, I think so. I think like exploring and stuff. I but think, I think the... It's just a really, if you want to have amazing sex with someone else, you have to know your own body. and You have to know how to to pleasure yourself in, and I'd say in lots of different ways as well, and explore your body and see how you respond to different stimuli, um, how you how like it's really easy to get yourself in one rhythm where you're like ah uh, yes yeah, so i'm gonna use this thing and i know that it's gonna make me calm okay brilliant five minutes let's go um but actually it's quite good to challenge yourself to 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 go with a completely different thing like if it's if it's your hand that normally works try a toy or vice versa um and then it's so much easier to teach to teach a partner as well or teach five people whoever it is you're with
2: how is your your own sex life, Evie? Are you do you practice what you preach? Are you a, a masturbator explorer? Or are you I
3: <laughs> like these I like these hand gestures. Yeah, no, I, I do my I do my homework. I do my homework. Well, I mean at the moment at the moment it's weird because I am locked down with my parents. <laughs> <It changes laughs> <At their hand. laughs> um but I have like uh, it's been very funny because I had to. So the day that London locked down, I like I grabbed a humongous suitcase at Shush of like all of the toys that I need for classes and stuff. So I'm like completely surrounded by sex toys <laughs> and like lubes and things. So I've got this kind of like weird um, little sex shop set up in my in my teenage bedroom, which is. <laughs> Evie did, just
2: like reach down and lift up this beautiful dilator just in the opportune moment. I was like, wow, she's really prepared. For
3: this. <laughs> and that's just all here all the time now. Yeah. Um and about to say that none of these are my sex toys. They are the toys from ships, they are the demonstration toys. Um and uh, yeah, so so definitely, definitely try and practice what I preach. What I think has been really interesting is like I think I think I have certainly been feeling um, like a really low libido in lockdown. And I've been chatting to lots of people because like, I think the cultural narrative was like, oh my God, all of these couples that are locked down together are going to be having so much sex. Um, but the statistics have been really interesting. They're like Almost everyone is reporting to be having less sex than they were having before lockdown, even though maybe they have a little bit more time now.
2: Because um, well, I'm sure there was a Guardian article right at the beginning of lockdown when New Zealand had higher sex toy sales in the day before lockdown, this huge rush on sex toys just before lockdown. And New Zealand was like knocking it out of the park, you know, and this sex shop wasn't even closing. Like they were considered an essential service because they sold condoms. So I guess people hadn't figured that out, but we'd beat out like the UK, Australia, like the US. So I went, it's really interesting that people sort of beat us. That's
3: amazing.
2: Because obviously their idea of what lockdown would be, as you say, was something perhaps quite different.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I don't know maybe it's been maybe it's been different for New Zealand a- and maybe as well maybe as well because you were locked down but it hasn't been as bad in New Zealand maybe there's like a a level of anxiety that hasn't affected this, your sex drives as much maybe this is me massively so oh, psychology. Look,
2: no look fair enough I mean I think I yeah I, I have no idea what it must be like to have the kind of um, statistics and deaths that are happening all around Europe and the US and in other places around the world, you know, we are incredibly lucky to have a death toll of 26 people um, it's just insane, so yeah I think you might be onto something and say mental. there might be a mental health disparity <laughs> 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 disparity, mind the gap <laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah. but I mean, I mean you guys have done so well um, but um, Uh, yeah I think I think it's been um, it's just it's just been interesting that kind of just just noting that sort of thing that I think sex drives have been a lot lower and it would but it was the same here like there were huge boom sales in sex toys so it will be really interesting to kind of like see the data afterwards um, and see like actually how often people have been using these sex toys will be really interesting
2: yeah I mean that's a myth about having more time I guess is that suddenly our sex travel just got, I guess what I'm interested too, in what some myths are around, like you talked about there being a few barriers to people coming to, this, coming to your sex education classes. And that's changed a little bit because of the format. You've obviously had a kind of different crowd coming in. But mm. what are some of the common myths that you encounter about the kind of work you do? Like what do people assume when they hear that you're a sex educator?
3: That's an interesting question. Um, I well, we get a lot. So, the technical name for uh, shush, so shush was set up 28 years ago as shush women's store. Um, and because of this, we get a lot of phone calls not me so much anymore because I don't work in the shop. But we get a lot of phone calls that are like, uh, uh, Do you sell women? Could <laughs> do you sell women? <laughs> no. Yeah, which is, is really, really disturbing. And uh, um, so that is, is, I suppose, one assumption of, of what we do. And I think um, I think maybe uh, there is a bit of assumption from some people that it's more of a sex work thing, which uh, which I have no problem with. Um, but is... Uh, oh. is just, if, um, sorry, what are you saying?
2: You describe it as sex work, what you do.
3: Um, I describe it as sex education work. It doesn't. I'm like I'm not remotely um bothered by it being sex work. I'm very pro sex work and sex workers. Um But I I I think my job is is I'm not not a skills <laughs> sex workers. I would say. <laughs> what you're capable of. I love
2: it. I love
3: it. I think a lot of people assume that it's either like that all sex education is is talking about STIs and teaching people how to put condoms on bananas or they assume it's like Betty Dodson like everyone's naked and I'm in it's very hands-on I think they're the big assumptions I'd say
2: mm. and I think that's really interesting because I guess I'm interested too in what you wish that you had learned as a young person in your sex education I imagine it you say you can't even remember it um, so I guess anything probably oh anything would probably be good right <laughs> but um but yeah what, what do you wish like if you could just travel back to being i don't know 16 was when they started talking about sex to us i don't know what it is in the uk but if you could travel back to being 16 year old evie like what do you wish someone had said to you what the health teacher had said to you
3: that's such a good question um i think I think it would just be and I don't know whether this should come from, yeah I think I think it should come from a, a health teacher but I wish it came from society at wide as well I wish someone had said like sex is for you as well like I had this ingrained belief that um if you were a female bodied person that you didn't enjoy sex and sex wasn't for you but it was like something eventually you'd let someone do to you like it was kind of this thing that like men loved and like men had a sex drive but but females didn't actually and they were just the, the like the pretty things that were pursued so i definitely think i wish i wish someone had told me that like pleasure is for you and sex is for you too yeah
2: so in terms of your because far out to come from there to doing the kind of work in the space that you're in right now what feels like the biggest shift for you?
3: I suppose that really, yeah, that and like knowing that uh, I have empowerment over over my own body and my own decisions when it comes to sex. And I think, I think because I felt so uh, so like like sex wasn't for me, like that thing that I've just said, that it was something that I'd let someone do to me, then I didn't. I think that was something that, that got me into a lot of, a lot of pain and trouble because I, because I didn't feel like I had the right to assert my boundaries. I let things do, I let people do things to me that didn't, that didn't feel right and weren't right. And that sounds like I'm victim blaming myself and I'm not at all. I'm kind of like blaming society for teaching, teaching me that or teaching lots of people that, um, because I just didn't feel like I had a right to assert my boundaries and, and, and claim my own pleasure. And uh, so I, I do think that has been the biggest change, that I'm just fully, fully aware and fully autonomous in my own pleasure. I know how to, to please myself <laughs> please <others. laughs> and, uh, and I know how to please others and I know when I want to do that. And I think that is that is just sort of the, the gift I want to fast track. Everyone into with the work that I do, just sort of like give them that empowerment and that knowledge that they are completely autonomous. They can give themselves their own pleasure. They don't need anyone else. But having other people is also great as well, as long as it is on your terms.
2: Oh, (laughs) preachy! That is just fucking wonderful. Like I am so, I am so congratulations. You know, I am so fucking happy for you because I think that's an amazing shift. And to hear somebody say that I claim my own pleasure and that I'm completely autonomous in what I want to happen to my body is really powerful. And it's really rare. And that's why the work you do is so important. I think
3: you're cool. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. And I I feel like um, I actually sort of want to talk about that more in my work, the kind of like where I've come from more. Because I think it's really, I've sort of noticed that lots and lots of sex educators basically grew up in like super liberal um, households where their parents like had these really open conversations and like not that my parents weren't, weren't like they weren't bad, they weren't sex negative really, it was just, it was just not really talked about. Um, And so I think it's really important for like people that um, did come from a place of like feeling really, really sex negative and that, that, evolving i think i feel like i want to hear from more people like that where there's been a real journey
2: i know what you mean that sort of um yeah i know that sort of um, archetype maybe in in the sex community who um who just seems to ooze ease about this in a kind of genetic way (laughs) which may or may not be their story but um but you're right I think it's really important that we talk about um not having everything right from the get-go yeah
3: which I should say as well is also brilliant like that's also wonderful that they have had that upbringing and and they are bringing that that to the world is also wonderful. I'm not saying that we should stop those people speaking, I'm <laughs> just saying to like add to that conversation. I think people who uh, yeah, just those journeys of, of, of people getting to a place of sex positivity and empowerment but maybe didn't start there is also really interesting.
2: Mm. Oh man, this is such an amazing conversation i I wanted to jump back to something that um twigged for me very early on in the conversation. It was about um, louis C k. And I was really interested in the way you were talking about it because you're talking about the Me Too movement, but you're, um, but I wondered what you thought about uh, cancel culture and that kind of uh, conversation about these male figures who have really deeply fallen from grace um, and how we approach that. I just, yeah, I'm interested in what you think about that because you seem to have quite a gentle approach from the way you were talking about Louis CK and Harvey Weinstein so yeah what are your thoughts
3: on cancel culture oh interesting gentle interesting um I um mm, 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 mm. I think I think absolutely I um uh, what do I think sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, <wasn't> it? <laughs> I uh, have lots of mixed feelings about cancel culture mm. I think I think that it is really important to to listen listen to people even if you struggle with things that they have done or uh, or people that they have um or people that you disagree with. I think it's really important. I don't, don't think I believe in any form of, of no platforming, but I also think it should be maybe a case by case thing. I like I I don't know. I don't know something would come along that I really think shouldn't be, shouldn't have a platform. I don't, I don't, I, but generally, I think I disagree with it. I think we should be, we should we have freedom of speech. We should be able to hear people out. But of course, that comes with exceptions in terms of really extreme things. Um, I think with Louis, with with sexual assault particularly, and uh, looking at these cases, looking at people like Harvey Weinstein and Louis C.K. Um, I'm deeply deeply angry and I think that they should be cancelled I certainly do not think that they should have power or a platform or a voice in the cultural conversation anymore because they have they have destroyed people's lives by doing they have destroyed people's lives for their momentary pleasure and they have felt completely within their own rights to do that and I feel incredibly angry for myself and for my own sort of story, where it was like a, in some ways, a kind of a similar story. I think all of these, all of these stories have their similarities and differences. So I feel deeply angry at them, but also that anger holds a lot of fascination as well in, in fascination of, of people's psychosexual imaginations and how these things manifest and how and how these powerful men get to the point where they feel able and capable to, to perpetrate these crimes and think that they're, and, and won't well, think that they're not going to get away with it and get away with it for an incredibly long time because we, we hold up these powerful men. So I'm really, I'm really quite fascinated by that. So I suppose it's, it's incredible rage, but really quite but maybe sort of thoughtfulness in there as well and kind of like just thinking about picking that apart and I and I think that is something that we need to do in order to um, have these conversations have these conversations about so why why do these things happen why do people feel the need to assault someone or feel that they are able to take pleasure from someone who doesn't want to give it to them why do they still feel able why do they still want to do that really deeply quite disturbing um uh thoughts and and a thing to pick apart but i still think really necessary in the sex education conversation to pick apart and and that that feels like it's giving them too much sympathy and i honestly have no sympathy for these men i feel so deeply angry angry at these men and angry at the the things they have done to people um but I still, and I think, I think this is maybe from a like a dramaturgical point of view of creating a show as well, is that I, I, I am I'm sort of fascinated in, in picking this apart and working out what the why is behind this.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Which I never ever want to come across sympathy. <laughs> I won't look for it, but it's a sort of maybe more, what's the word for like picking things apart? There's a medical word. Um, oh, it's gone. What, what did you say?
2: Dissection.
3: Maybe it's dissection. Maybe it's that. Yeah, that'll do. That'll do. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's really
2: sorry, they are. I guess. Yeah, it's certain. It's certainly a a curly question to encounter, and I and I can imagine it must be a a challenging task to um, you know to put on a suit even if it is covered in penises because and become Louis CK for a hot minute uh, there has to be a in order to do the job well whether it's comedy or not um there has to be a yeah a kind of test tube of um of empathy in there doesn't there and so Mm -hmm. it's, it's the fundament really eh of understanding who that person is so that that runs counter to a lot of the rage, doesn't it? I would say that empathy is probably rage's antidote.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I think I think there's still a. Uh, and again, I, I di- again. I don't want to seem too sympathetic or empathetic with these men because I'm not. But I, um, this, they are still, in a small way, a victim of the society that we have created in terms of the conversation around sex they have been embroiled in that they have been fed those things too and so i think they are still part of the picture of how we we untangle that Mm. Um, and that i suppose is a bit my mission of of my sexual education work but also my theater show Um, so I think that is where a lot of the thought for them has come from. And particularly, there's, some, there's something I find doubly fascinating about Louis C.K., because I think for lots of people, he falls into a bit of a grey area. Um, I think there is a lot of young men in particular who really love Louis C.K., who don't think he did anything that wrong, in inverted commas. And I've had so many young men come up to me um, quite angry at me for sort of satirizing him and for trying to take him, Louis CK down, um, and sort of have big conversations with me about the fact that like, you should do Harvey Weinstein, you shouldn't do him. Um, and feel really upset and feel really, um, kind of like, it kind of feels like they feel like they're being victimized. and and I'm picking on them because they love Louis CK. Um, so I'm sort of quite fascinated by that gray, the, the, the grey area that they believe he sits in. I don't feel like Lucy CK sits in a grey area. I think he is a, a perpetrator of, of sexual assault. But I'm interested in the fact that there is a cultural narrative of a grey area around him.
2: Mm, yeah, there's it's, it's a lot of charm. Hey, he needs a lot of charm in his wake as well as trauma so it's a you're right it's a it's a really intoxicating
3: mix (laughs) and a confusing (laughs) yeah yeah because i mean who who's who in the public narrative is going to be like oh but i loved harvey weinstein he was he was so funny he like do you know what i mean no one has that that like deep love from enjoying his art no one has that uh, with him so he's much easier to just for the whole world to be like fuck you you're awful um so I'm yeah yeah so I'm sort of fascinated how we how we all of us seem to have that duality and uh, yeah
2: I really do hope that you do your sex clown cabaret online because you probably won't do it sounds like a whole solo show but far out man I wish that I could be close to that penis suit in real life.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you one. I mean, they're very easy to make. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so genius, Evie. It's so genius. I wish I could see it in the flesh and I just, yeah, send out my lamentations to you for the hopefully momentary loss of live theatre because I, I, yeah, like to you, I do believe it is really healing. And I think it's, I think it's incredible. Um, Evie, it's been such a pleasure <laughs> to speak to you. Thank you for giving me your Thank morning, your precious morning
3: thank you so much i've had a lovely time chatting and i hope to meet you in the real world at some point
2: oh man that would be amazing yeah we'll let you know before the podcast comes out we'll let you hustle it as hard as you want to but um in the meantime you have a beautiful day Evie.
3: amazing thank you so much take care bye
2: oh wasn't that delicious i hope you loved listening to the episode with evie and if you want to Find Evie, you can go to www.eviefayhilly.com, so their last name is spelled fehill com. that'll be in the show notes, but also their Twitter handle is at Evie Fahilly. and if you're interested in the work in the workshops that um, Shush does, Shush does, I should work on my pronunciation, um, uh, www.shhh. uh there's three H's in there, .co.uk, um, forward slash shop and... Yeah, that's still doing some incredible um, workshops online and hopefully soon in person. Um, Yeah, get amongst, get amongst my friends.
0: Get amongst it. And while you're doing that, um, you could check out some of the other amazing interviews which we've uh, got up live already or um, are coming up in the next few episodes. Um, Yeah, broad topics. Asians and sex. Anti-shame pornography, masculinity, ending HIV. Um, and of course, we'd also love to hear from you guys uh, if you want to hook us up with any of that awesome criticism or feedback, um, any juicy ideas or topics that you think we should be talking about um, or any particular individuals that you want us to chat to, uh, then let us know. We're up for it. Um, yeah, send emails, pictures, voice recordings or anything else you want to send us. Um, to hello at sexinspace.com. We would love to include them on upcoming episodes. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at sexinspace.com. That is sexinspace, (laughs) D-O-T-C-O-M.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast and you have some spare swipes or clicks to go around, then leave us a five-star rating or a lovely review on Good Old Apple Podcast. That would be amazing. It really does help us so much. And we'll be definitely be shouting out our reviews on future episodes. So keep those incredibly sexy. Always a huge thanks to all of our guests, the good folks at Zoom, for making this <laughs> conversation with the, with Evie possible. Thank to the you, Zoom. <laughs> to the team at String Theory for all their support. And to Andrew, Tanya, Brandon, David, and Richard for their amazing vocal work, thank you as well for my amazing co-host Tim Blower. Could not do it without you. Hmm. And yeah, that's true. Yeah. And thank you all for making it all the way to the end with us. Um, I hope to see you on future episodes. If so join us next week. Bye, my friends. Bye bye.
1: If you found some of this material a little challenging, keep coming back and we'll make it really challenging.